Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to Unlocked, a podcast focusing on all mental health and identity-related topics through the Caribbean lens. I'm your host, Audrey Augustov, Haitian-American and licensed counselor. everybody, and welcome to episode one of Unlock the Podcast. In this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with a favorite YouTuber of mine by the name of Marie. Marie is a Haitian woman whose family brought her to the United States at a young age. In her early adult life, Marie was charged with a felony leading her to 13 years of incarceration, followed by her immediate deportation back to Haiti where she would then meet her biological mother for the first time. She currently documents the work she does for communities in Haiti on her YouTube channel, Life in Haiti with Marie. But as transparent as Marie is on her channel, I found myself wondering more about her reunification with her family. Hers is a story of second chances and how God is using her as a tool to bless others. Take a listen. Hi, Marie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you, Miss Haji? How you doing, my sister? I'm doing good. <laughs> well, listen, in, in the spirit of being a counselor, I always try to uh, answer how I'm doing very sincerely because I think we live in a world where people just are used to saying good, blessed, whatever. So I'm going to be honest and say today has been very hectic, <laughs> but um, I'm getting through it. I'm getting what I, you know, what I need to get done. So I'm, I'm excited for the day to end, though. Like, I think I need a reset for tomorrow because today has been kind of hectic. But thank you for asking. Thank you. You know, because um, I have to be honest, my day has been full of events, impactful events. Yeah, I trust God and I just thank him. So... Um, that's why I say I woke up today, so today's been a good day. It's been a good day. I made. I, I, I'm almost through it. Okay, that's the good part. Okay, okay. Um, I want to thank you for joining me today. I mean, I I have been watching your YouTube channel called Life in Haiti, and I have been honestly in awe of following your story and the work that you do in Haiti. Um, and I I feel like there are so many angles to sitting down and talking to you because your story is filled with many interesting turns. But um, there's a very interesting aspect of your story that I really want to focus on, which is your relationship with your family. So but before... We kind of get in deep with your family. I know that there's a, a whole life uh, experience that kind of led you to, you know, what is your deportation uh, from the United States to Haiti? Um, can I just ask, what what day did you return to Haiti? I returned back to Haiti on June fourth, two thousand nineteen. Okay, so it's been a little bit over a year. Yes, it's been about a year and a half. Um, since I've been in Haiti, yes, ma'am. All right, all right. Can you first and foremost highlight to me what the state of your family circumstance was that had that made it so that you ended up in the United States? 
Okay, well, um, my family, my father, well, I take you back a little bit. I was raised by my grandfather and my father. Um, at a very young age, before I had any knowledge to remember anything, or I don't think was walking, my mother had um, basically um, left me. And my father took me, and my dad has always been one that loved politics and was involved in politics in Haiti and always been one to fight for a change in Haiti. And how we end up out of Haiti, um, that, that's a story that I actually have never spoke on. You, you came a completely different angle because no one has thought to ask me that. And when I was young, due to my father's political involvement, um, there was a group that ended up um, coming to try to run in our house to kill my father and my mother, basically the family. Wow. And we escaped um, that many others didn't, and which was during um, early ice speed era. Mm. And uh, my father, you know, had already filed right before that for political asylum. So in between that time, you know, you know, going out and hiding, um, he ended up getting called by immigration and actually his, his application was approved. And because of it being approved, um, it allowed him to bring myself and my mother. When I say my mother, she's the woman who stepped in as a mother and I don't ever want to associate her with anything less than my mother, who just did not biologically have me. So that is how we end up in the state with um, political asylum. Oh, wow. That's, I'm really mm -hmm. glad that I asked that question. And, and, you know, interestingly, I don't think, like, as a, I'm a, you know, first generation American, I was born in the States. I think a lot of us have, a story of being tied into something political in the in Haiti that maybe our families don't talk about enough because like my biological father passed away when I was young and at some point um, one of my uncles like was getting in touch with us and you know trying to connect and when I was when we were talking to him about like my biological fa father's family's legacy um, there is some political component to it that's the kind of stuff that maybe our families don't talk about openly because there's some, you know, uh, stigma associated with that, depending on what side of the political, um, you know, manifestation and opinion that we're on. But I, I'm, I'm really happy that you were willing to share that because that I think that that's a part of a lot of Haitian people's story is our our relationship with politics, like a, the Haitian identity is inherently very political in a way that a lot of other identities mm -hmm. aren't, you know? Yes, very, very political. And, um, you know, living in Haiti myself, due to my experiences with politics, I think that is why I stray away from politics, because I associate it with violence, um, unfairness, um, Brutality, I think when I think of violence, when, when I think of the worst acts that can happen to um, to humankind, it has something to do with religion, politics. So I don't get into that. Uh, 
that's not my friend. I try to not veer in that route because um, the truth is, like you mentioned, so many of us, we don't talk about that. It's like, uh, I can tell you to today, I don't think we've ever sat down and actually spoke on the political experience that we encountered in Haiti with my siblings who were all born in the U.S. It's as if that was shut out. So sometimes, you know, not to get off subject, when you deal with a Haitian person and you don't understand their behavior, it has a lot to do with the fact that you don't know what they're shutting in. Mm. You don't know their experiences that um, cause them to behave the way they behave, what they stepped on and just keep pushing through. Okay. So I know we're going to fast forward a little bit about your life um, and how you ended up getting deported, right? And so first you you committed a crime. And I know that when I was watching your um, YouTube channel, it seems as though like you didn't have an extensive life of crime, but mm-hmm. but it was like your first time doing something and it just so happens that you got caught and, you know, charged. Yes. Um, a friend of mine, we were both young. I actually spun for, um, you could say all of my 20s because I went, I celebrated my 22nd birthday in a state prison and, um, you know, kids being crazy. My friend said, well, let's go hit a lick. And um, we go and commit a robbery, and um, we didn't hurt anybody. There's no excuse to it. Today was wrong. I don't, I don't condone it. But um, with that came a 15-year prison sentence, and it was aggravated because of anything that's robbery in the state of Texas is, um, is considered ag. And I did seven and a half years to see parole. Once I saw parole, I was denied four times. I made my fifth parole. And upon, you know, preparing me to be released back home to Houston, Texas, immigration contacted me and placed the immigration hold on me. And um, let me know that, you know, basically I was not a, a citizen of the United States. And then I was removable. I had to go in front of a judge. When I went in front of the judge, I actually had the opportunity to go all the way in front of the judge. And, you know, my family's fight was the fact that I had been in Haiti. I've done, uh, I think, from third grade all the way to high school um, in the U.S. I had no... um, physical or relationship period with anybody in Haiti. I didn't know um, people in Haiti, even though we still <clears throat> had family in Haiti. I just didn't have a relationship with them. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. And um, that still was nothing to the judge, you know. I was removable, and basically he imposed the law and ordered me removed. Wow. And I got here June the 4th of 2019. 
I'm not one that's having a pity show because I know in life, every decision, there's uh, some type of, uh, what is it, uh, repercussion, you know, some type of, I don't know, something happens with every decision that you make. You just have to be careful because a lot of times the decisions that we make, we may not enjoy the results of it, mm-hmm. but it was the result of my decision. So I had to deal with it head on, and I knew from then on it was attitude was everything because um, I was going into a foreign land. I was going to a place where I no longer had the support that I thought that I would have, which is my mom and dad, brothers and sisters, children, my two kids. I didn't have them to teach me. I didn't have them to be there with me, to even give me a hug, to love me, that understood me, that spent my time with me. I was starting all over. I would have them, yet I would have them in this. It was God and I. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, I, I try to put myself in the position of, you know, being in court and hearing that I'm going to a land that, both represents the concept of something foreign and the concept of some of the, of something that's like a homeland you know um you know to me i especially with the state of the political uh, the political state of Haiti most people that kind of grow up in the states we don't necessarily go back to Haiti consistently you know especially if we're tied to a family with a political history you know, and if our last name, if our last name bears that last name, it can have very serious repercussions for us as potential in a nation where kidnapping and stuff is prevalent. And so, you know, for uh, it's this interesting kind of like going to your origins and going to a place that's completely foreign. I mean, can you take me through the emotional experience oh, of finding out and also like literally walking off the plane into Haiti. I mean, walk me through that. Um, I can recall during the plane ride um, being lonely. Um, I had all sorts of emotions going through my mind, but I am one, my sister, that talks to myself. So at my lowest, I'm always my worst critic, yet my best critic. So I have demons within me um, that that we fight each other because God's going to win also within me. So I had all sorts of thoughts. I was depressed, lonely. um, And of course, most of all, I was confused because I heard so many stories about how the world had changed. I was flying cars and I just didn't know what type of matrix I was walking into. And... um, but I knew I had a voice that was telling me that, uh, I'll take you back a little bit. When I found out I had my immigration hold, that was right after I saw the road. And um, when they called me to the picket and told me that I had to go see um, ICE, and I said, what is ICE? I asked that on purpose. <laughs> they said, Immigration Custom Enforcement. I knew what time it was. Mm. And at that time in my lonely cell, um, before I had a chance to even call home, I picked up my Bible and I went to Joshua 1, 9, I think. And 
and that word, it just told me to be courageous, to be strong, that wherever you go, I'll go with you. And right then and there, I had broke down because that was confirmation that God was sending me somewhere mm-hmm. and my plans were not his plans. So I put on my little white suit and I go visit the people. And when I visited them, she was just a messenger. She had no decision, you know. She was just delivering the message. And I was trying to plead my cause to her. And she said, well, Sandy, I can't help you. I'm just telling you what's going on. I can't remove this hole. There's nothing I can do for you, uh, Marie. And I said, okay. But God had already answered me. So while I'm on the plane, I'm flashing all of this in my mind that God had already promised me he was going with me and wherever I was going to be strong. Now, what was worse for me emotionally was the fact that I was finally meeting my biological mother for the first time Mm. at 36. And I did not know how anyone looked that was coming to pick me up at the airport. That's what was even more frustrating. Now, I spent 13 years in a cell by myself with women I was familiar with and you know, coming out of that situation, you still kind of afraid of a mass amount of people, especially when it's not controlled. Mm. So I'm used to gray suits around. I'm used to somebody telling me what to do, which way to go. I'm used to being protected in a way. And um, I knew I was coming into a dangerous country. And I didn't even know who I was coming to see, how they look. Again, with confusion and the lack of knowledge with my family here. Um, I have been stuck at immigration. I was one of the, I was the last one to leave immigration. So, you know, I was calling back home with the officer's phone. They were nice to me. And they could tell that um, I knew nothing about Haiti, and it was a devastating thing for me. And they allowed me to use their phone. I called my mom, my dad back home, and I'm like, I don't know nobody's here. So I can't, you know, I, I can't express to you how I'm feeling, but I finally get to meet my mom, and um, they were all happy to see me. But by then, um, I was already set in into an emotional, um, I don't know, I, I, was, I, I didn't, what I knew is I, I kind of blacked out. I didn't feel nothing anymore. I felt I was sent to another prison. A prison now, there was no guards. Um, I had no protection. And this prison was very dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't clean, you know. I, I, I kind of became OCD in prison because prison, you got to protect yourself because of the mass amount of people. And there was no protection in this place. And trash was everywhere. I, I can tell you, on the ride home, I stayed up up until maybe about two minutes out the airport, and what I was seeing just was so devastating. In those two minutes, I was asking God, what is my purpose? Um, I knew then he said, you know, I wasn't talking to myself. He said, if you don't like it, make a difference. Yes. And I kind of blacked out my um, and to those that are listening. I spent about two days in that uh, emotional despair. I didn't eat. I didn't use the restroom. And, um, 
when I finally did talk to myself and see, you know, you got to get up, Marie. You can't stay in your state. Um, and I, I think I needed to use the restroom for the first time. And um, when I had to use the restroom, there was no restroom. I think that's when I knew that uh, I had started a new chapter of my life. Because even in prison in Texas, if I had nothing else, I had access to a restroom. And I was offered a bucket <laughs> with a bag. And um, I just, you know, I went with the flow because this was my biological mother meeting her for the first time. Initially, you know, my heart went out to her. And um, I couldn't believe that the woman who had me, as strong as I am, had been living in those conditions for many years. And um, I adjusted real quickly. And I, I had to self-talk, pick yourself up. And I knew then um, God was with me, that I needed to make a difference. And whether my mother had to drive me or not, um, I knew deep inside that one day I would pay her back just for having me. Wow. And uh, it was no hate, you know. It was all compassion towards her because I realized then that everything happens to us for a reason. Here I am for many years. I had always wanted my mother. I longed for her, and I wondered how she looked, how she acted, how she laughed, what did she laugh about, what was funny to her. And um, my mother's life was completely opposite of that. Why did she give me away? Why she didn't raise me? Why did she not want me? Because that day, I found out I had two brothers, two sisters. One of them had passed away at 22. She left two kids, which my mother is raising. I kind of always questioned what made them special, what made them different mm. than me. But I realized that day that it was me that God was preparing for something different. It wasn't that I was better than them. It wasn't that she didn't love me or I was, it was no big eyes or little you. It was that God had made a way for me so that I could come back and make a way for everybody else. So, um, I don't know. You know I'm a YouTuber, so when it comes to talking, I want to <laughs> let you be the host. <laughs> no, no, trust me. I... Uh... I am very happy to sit back and let you tell your story. I think you have a very captivating way of speaking. And I I, I believe that everybody that is tuned in right now is tuned in. You know, I don't think they even want me to do more talking than necessary because you're doing a great job of just, you know, uh, detailing the emotional experience and tying it into um, just the, uh, the changes. I mean, it never really occurred to me that yeah, by the time that you were released into Haiti, that you had become an institutionalized person. And to be to, mm -hmm. to go from and I'm even thinking about, you know, the year that you went in, because that what you said was at least was it 13 or 15 years? I did 13 years. I went in in the year uh, August 31st, 2006. Right. So I think even just the so, technological advances. So between yeah, like the, so, the technological changes, the institutionalization of, you know, uh, being in a prison and ending up in Haiti, which is 
<laughs> in a lot of ways, I mean, just a free for all on a on a mm. as far as you know how it functions. Um, yeah, um, everybody was telling me about all these big grand things. I have you know brothers and sisters who you know tell me all about the good stuff as far as well, what's going to this generation iPhones, this and that. And they couldn't wait to teach me, of course. And I come into Haiti, and, you know, people didn't have any of that. Haiti um, was living, I I felt like I was in a time machine because here I did 13 years in prison. And before I went to prison, I lived better than um, our country lived today. Mm. I didn't, um, there was no match with what I was seeing or what I was hearing from my siblings and peers in the States with what I was living in the present. Hmm. Um, it, it was very different. And i tell you what, as far as like um, adjusting to family, that was a difficult process. Yeah. Being different in the way, you know, that I, I think. Um, uh, cleanliness, you know, the house would be kept any kind of way. And, um, you know, teaching them how to clean. My mother, she was very receptive. My mother and I have had our ups and downs as far as establishing a relationship. One of the things about our peoples in Haiti is the struggle is real, that here I was a deportee who was um, emotionally disturbed, okay? Because I had just came out of prison, but for the most, 100% of Haiti looked at me as if I was a Jaspoa. A woman who came from America speaks English. They associated that with money. I had no money. And it was very difficult because even if I would have went home to the state, my mother knew, you know, I would need that that support. And I came home on my hands and feet. They understood that. But I came out here to Haiti. Um, I think I brought in about $312 that was from friends, family that um, made sure I had that in my pocket to come into the country with. And I can tell you, you know, that day that money was gone, everybody was taken, which I gladly gave it away, you know. uh, But I found myself in a situation where I was really, really fighting because it wasn't about tangible things, you know, because I knew I was in a situation what you own did not identify you. What you it wasn't about anything materialistic. It was about building a relationship, which is why I chose to go with my biological mother. Right. And it got to a point where it was all taken and taken material things, you know, with family. It was always giving and giving, and I'm like, no one understands I'm just getting out of prison. Do these people know? I don't have nothing. I'm not a just for like I don't, I don't, I didn't leave a, a mansion in the U.S. And for the most part, a lot of our Haitian people that traveled in and out of Haiti, they didn't leave a huge mansion in the U.S. You know, people, it's a working um, economy. People have to work. They have to pay bills. You don't make 5000 and keep it all to yourself as you would in Haiti. So I had to, you know, really like sit my mother down, build a relationship with her, and really ask to be loved to treat me as she treated the rest of her kids. 
Right. So can you can you highlight that a little bit? Right. So what I'm just imagining, like meeting a parent as an adult and because when I I think sometimes we get so caught up in our feelings of rejection. And I, when I when I think about this uh, transition into having compassion for her, it's like the transition from understanding her conceptually as your mother and to now seeing her as a woman with her own story, you know, and mm-hmm. I almost can imagine. Yeah, I can. I can almost imagine her own sense of maybe guilt and shame as she's taking you into her home and how that becomes like a, a one of the driving forces that can lead to, you know, misunderstandings or, you, you know, tension between the two of you. I mean, can you. Can you highlight some of the more difficult aspects of what... Well, what I, I tell you what, because I was raised by Haitian parents, you know, I am one woman that always, you know, humble myself in front of my elders. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would always, you know, humble myself and be very respectful to her, her husband, my siblings. Yet I was also laying low in the cut, watching how I was treated differently. Mm, what differently? How can you can you talk to me about what that is? Um, treated differently, it was um, there was not a conversation with me that didn't involve can I have, mm. and I mean literally, my sister. Like I had a whole breakdown, and I even called my father, and I'm like, Dad, um, this is this is starting to be too much for me. Here I go. I spent years wanting to meet my mother and my mom. She didn't treat me like my mom. <laughs> and my mom in the States every day was praying for me, was calling me on the hour, baby, how you doing? Did you eat today? What was going on with you? Never asking me for anything, but always giving me everything. Mm. And the mother who had me, was just taking and taking and it came to a point the taking was emotionally because I can give you so much money if I got a transfer to a hundred dollars I could share a hundred once that hundred was gone and then you still continue to ask now you take from me emotionally because I feel like I'm in a position where what's being asked of me I can't give and that's an emotional strain in itself okay mm-hmm. and you know, dad's like, well, the way you talking to me, express yourself to her. You know, and that's advice dad gave me. And um, one day, I said, I'm just going to wait. Well, in between that, I stayed with my mother about two months. When it got to a point where it was overwhelming, not only with her and family members, I ended up leaving. Um, and uh, when I left... With a, you know, with people, with a friend that I met, I end up leaving. Right when I when I left, I was still getting the phone calls, and of course, me with my heart, you know, wanting to work and help the people. I would constantly, you know, like we have a Moncash thing. Always, if I had twenty dollars, I sunk five. Whatever I had, I always sunk without being asked. In addition to being asked. And, you know, one week she did that, and I talked to my dad, and it just hurted me because that day she did that to me. Emotionally, I was having a hard day in Haiti. 
I was trying to genuinely find my way. Um, I was sad. I was depressed. I was going through things. I wanted to see my kids. I, I had those longings, that emptiness that I wish her call would have been, baby, I'm coming to see you. Mm-hmm. Where are you at? It, it was none of that. And um, when we got off the phone, I, I realized, you know, I felt the way I felt because I felt so alone in Haiti. Right. So, of course, um, my reaction is to go to the man that makes me feel loved, and that's my father. So when I talked to dad, my dad said, call, talk to her. So I wait on her again. So maybe I'm tripping this time. I'm going to be respectful, do as I'm supposed to. And, and a week later, she comes back again. And I said, you know, now is the time to fix this relationship or destroy it. You know, so I stop and I, I tell her, I say, hey, I need to talk to you. Um, this, you know, whenever you call me, you always, it's this way. Like, I am your daughter. And I, I said this on the show, I'm not, I'm like, I'm your daughter, not your sugar mom. Okay. Please understand that. I need you to give me the same love that you give the rest of them. I see how you interact with them. You don't call strictly to ask for something. You ask them how they doing, have they ate, and this and that. And it was not like that with me. And I need that from you, you know, because... I know there's distance, space, time apart, but I am still your daughter. And me being your daughter, I'm loving you. I forgive you. I use nothing against you. So can you give me that same love in return? And I tell you what, since that conversation, um, she has made great effort. Mm. So our relationship has gotten a lot better. You know, and, and I tell her, if you love me, love on me, don't worry about the material things because as your daughter, I know you are in need. I see the, the disparity. I see the poverty level. You don't need to tell me. I see it. I live it with you. Just give me the opportunity to make way and see where God will open doors to lift you up as my mother. Because that is one of my desires, you know. Mm-hmm. But let's not focus on that because we don't know if I just met you at 36 and you may have a year or two with you. We don't know time. Or I may just have a year or two with you. Right. So I, let's appreciate each other in the present. So, as far as my brothers and sisters, wait before 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 uh, you get into your brothers and sisters, I I want to ask, um, does as you are as you are exploring building this relationship, and it sounds like your mother has made um, great strides in the meantime. Does she possess the capacity to love you? in the same way that she loves the children that she raised? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, because I'm a fair person, I, I'm not God, my sister, so I could never answer that question for her. Now, the depths of me wish that she can, 
But we gotta also be human and understand that um, realistically speaking, if I'm speaking from a human point of view, a carnal point of view, no one could love me as much as my father loved me because of the struggles he's went through with me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm sick and you know, having been through everything with me and always carried me on his back. You know, um, if you ask me who loved me, I would tell you my father because I'm a daddy's girl. My father had struggled with me. And not only that, you know, I've had two men in my life that I can, you know, I say rest in peace to one that's my grandfather. But as far as her, I don't think that way mentally. I never do. And I never do because I don't want to enter into a place internally with myself. Because sometimes when we ask certain questions, you think you're ready for the answer, but you're not. You're not, okay? And that answer can destroy you emotionally. And my attitude is everything, especially in this situation which I'm in. I want to say, yes, she does have the capacity to love each and every one of her kids because I am a mother of two different kids. And even though they're two different people, I love them the same yet differently. Answering for her, I want to say that she does have the capacity to love us all, yet she does love us differently. Okay, yeah, and that, that that you know you're you are correct in pointing out that I don't actually even think that every child is meant to be loved the same way because every child has a different need, you know. So mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. Um, that is, but it's very it's a very beautiful sentiment that you share about not exploring questions that we might not have the answer to, and I think that sometimes. We do kind of drive ourselves crazy thinking that we want knowledge, mm-hmm. but, you know, when we, that's why they call it Pandora's box. Or once we know, we can never unknow, you know, so mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. if we if we go down certain paths of exploration, you know, it just brings us deeper into a state of instability um, that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, dangerous, you know, um, not to interrupt you. You, you got to keep in mind that today I'm being a little bit stronger than my problem, right? And addition to that, being the bigger person to, as far as understanding, a lot of times Haitian people have dealt with surviving their whole life that psychologically they are uh, out of there. They do not, um, it's kind of like this in the States, black people don't believe in counseling, okay? You should just deal with it. But that's something blacks are changing within their culture because now we're seeing that what the, the, the white people say is really something that is very true. A lot of us, we need to get somebody's unbiased opinion to get it out to help us grow. Right. Well, you got Haiti that is a system that's so far, far behind. They lack education, okay? Um, I don't even know my mother's level of education, but I can guarantee you it's little to none. 
So certain things, okay, I don't expect for her to learn yes. because psychologically, I don't expect for her to know or understand because psychologically, in order for us to even understand subtraction, you got to know one plus one. That's very true. That's very, very true. I mean, you're, it's... All right? You can't, you can't not know one plus one and go to four plus six. Or not even know addition and go to multiplication. That's the problem within our country. A lot of decisions people make is because they're not, to me, and I stand to be corrected, there's a major lack of education. Right. There's that, that lack of, even, you know, in kindergarten where you teach every student in the class, raise your hand to ask a question. Something as simple as getting a straight line, Haitian, Haitian people cannot do. And when you look at, when I look at them, I say, well, you didn't go to elementary? And it can be insulting to them because they may not have been offered that opportunity, even though they long for it. So as far as my mother she grew up with old, older parents, okay? From her story, she didn't even go to school. She didn't do a lot. She's partly, I love her to death, but she is illiterate herself. Mm -hmm. So there is things I cannot expect for my mother to know or to understand. So I try to take it very slow with her because Believe it or not, for a child to develop into what it is today, there has been, it's a process. Right. And you can't certain, you know, to even algebra, mathematics teaches us a lot about life. Yeah, logic, reasoning. I mean, what you're saying is very important logic because reasoning. emotional intelligence is something that you do develop based on, you know, experience. And it's funny because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine that's from Grenada speaking about how the education is, system is different, right? Like in the Caribbean where uh, in the Caribbean education is not like participation points matter, right? It's this, the, you know, you, you sit in the class, the professor or the teacher lectures, you take your notes, you, you memorize, you regurgitate what, what you're supposed to learn. But the American education system is very much like you're supposed to use critical thinking skills in developing your point of view. And you're supposed to be almost kind of argumentative and challenging your, your, your peers and your, your professor in class. And so this mm -hmm. helps develop a level of emotional intelligence and critical thinking skills that uh, school systems in the Caribbean are actually not even really set up to function like uh, even, I mean, not even just talking about the, you know, post uh, high school level, but, you know, it, it does a lot for how it impacts our interpersonal skills. So, I mean, you make a really great point about when you're talking about a, a nation that is severely undereducated, even on an elementary level, what that must mean about the emotional intelligence of adults, and therefore what mm -hmm. that must mean about the interpersonal relationships within family systems. <laughs> so, you know, women were emotional creatures, but with a level of experience, 
experience and exposure, we learn not to lean on our emotions because emotions lie, right? Mm-hmm. I might feel this way, but it's not a fact. We got to deal logically. A lot of women in Haiti don't know how to do that. Why they don't know how to do that? School is a repetition. It's repetitive, redundant. There's no challenge. <laughs> There's no argument, okay? The teacher's always right because this is school. You go in the same page, everyone recites it. Now, you don't even have to understand what you recite. As long as you can remember it and recite it, you pass. There's no understanding to it, you know? that That's why when I deal with my mom, I'm able to deal with compassion because she may deal emotionally and I'm going to deal logically. Hmm. And I'm going to love her however she deals because I genuinely forgive her. In the back of my mind, even though there's a major lab, I feel like she was really never missing because I always carried her in my heart. Oh, wow. She had me, you know. Um, so I just, that, that is why I take you now to life in Haiti. Knowing what I know from my experiences and from the things I tell myself in my mind, I'm big on educating the youth. Um, we cannot continue to educate the youth the way Haiti has been educating it because it is a cycle that will continue. At some point, in order for us to break that cycle, we must start educating um, children. We have to start teaching them. We have to be patient with it. Many parents in Haiti don't know how important it is to give your child a hug. Mm. As I go into different families, homes, whether rich, poor, whatever the class is. Now, I'm not going to say the rich people in Haiti don't do that. That'll be a while. People who are exposed, all right, travel. They're different with their families. Yet a lot of people in Haiti who knows differently, for some reason, hold that knowledge to themselves. They don't want to teach and give that knowledge to everyone else. I don't know why. It's as if you got to pay them to teach you. And if you do pay them, they still teach you a force of what they would someone at home. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. No, I was going to ask. I mean, I, I, what you're saying is very relevant, but I, I also did want to ask a little bit about you know tying all of this into your 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 transition into developing relationships with your siblings as well and it's all about teaching it's about teaching it's about attitude and i have good relationships with and i also had it too where i have a brother and i've always you know i love kids so i work for kids one number one reason i have two kids my mom and dad, my sister raised my kids, and I always wanted to pay them back. I knew I couldn't pay back my sister by raising her son, so I was going to pay back to the community by raising someone else's son because okay. God understood what I was doing, you know. So 
I would work with the kids, and I decided, me and Philly Dom, I'm going to start YouTube. Then my little brother, he had a YouTube, and it was jealousy there. He got on my YouTube. He said mean stuff about me. You know, it was like a troll. But he didn't even have enough knowledge to know that it was his name that was coming up on the screen. And then I knew it was him. And if you go back on my old videos, you see that video. It tore me up. And I'm like, this is a brother I live good with, I give to. Actually, he owed me. I never asked him for it. And it broke my heart. But it was the jealousy that I spoke English, that I had the determination and this and that. And... He thinking that my response would be like a normal Haitian. I cried it out because I felt betrayed. But then I went logical. I went in and I hugged him when I went to the house. He didn't want to talk to me. He hid from me. Here I am the oldest. I never done anything to you. But I humbled myself because my father is one of my counselors. He says, baby, don't worry. That's how Haitian people are. He's going to be jealous because he feels you excelling and he's doing the same thing. And maybe he's not. He says, don't respond angry. So I go back. And I, I, when, when I go back, he's hiding. When I ask for him, he's there. And I go back there and he goes home. And I hug him and I tell him, I forgive you. I love you. I'm not your enemy. Just next time, if you have something you want to tell me, just please call me. You have my phone number and tell me. Don't tell me in public, especially about stuff. I don't even know, you know, and it was, he cried, he apologized to me. And I forgave him. And I tell you what, since today, since then, um, with my siblings here, I have a good relationship, you know, because now, you know, it's so easy when you're an emotional person to take things personal. I don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, no, and true. all of that goes, uh, it, it, it comes from the lack of knowledge, the lack of electricity, the lack of access to basic things that they felt like I came in, they've been searching for. But it was only because in the Haitian language, my eyes had already been opened a little bit, a lot more than theirs even though I had been in prison. Mm -hmm. I had friends in the U.S. I had access. I had people that were advising me, mentoring me, telling me this, telling me that. So I quickly expelled them. Even though they had the same ability, yet they didn't have the people that was mentoring them, mm -hmm. that was guiding them the right way to lead them how people were leading me. So um, today, I can honestly say, my sister, I don't have one enemy as far as my family. I love them. And now I think they probably love me too much because they get on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, that's a really um, good point. And I kind of want to maybe mm -hmm. cl close out um, with asking a very important question, which is, you know, having gone through what you've gone through, what you you know went through, what, after all of this, what does family mean to you? Family. Um, family has always meant everything to me. And I, I'm praying, you know, some of my family will be supporting your videos so they can hear this. 
And I've always been very family oriented. Um, I actually grew up alone. Um, I did not get a sibling until I was 14. So I've always been the kid that played with the dog, praying and wishing that mom would get pregnant. <laughs> and my mother, you know, actually have her own story because my sister being the first child, actually I think the fifth child because she lost four before actually having her and had three after her. But um, I grew up alone, so I grew up pretty lonely. I've always daydreamed of having a uh, family, people to play with, love on. But now that I'm older, for me, family means a lot. And when I say family, my sister, a lot of times we associate family with just blood, people who are in our lineage. Um, family to me is the people that loves you, the people mm -hmm. who support you, the people who have the, the best interest at heart for you. Um, that is family. And I, I pick up family along the way, you know. Um, so family means everything to me. And um, I do everything that I do, actually. For I consider Haiti family, whether mm -hmm. some of the people know me or not. Um, I think closest things to me that I can set apart a little bit from family is my children. But I can't even set them apart. Because the way God um, has me today, I would do the same. Uh, I, I don't. They're my blood children. I would do more for them, but I would also, through them, exemplify to another kid how a mother should behave. So, what I want to do for them, I give to another. That's not even um, that I. Even, uh, I don't have no attachment to. But I just genuinely love. So um, family is everything, you know. Right. And family is not always the, the people that you consider blood. Absolutely. Marie, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, telling a very compelling and interesting story. Um, and um, it's... It's very inspiring to because I think that there's a lot of people in your position who could have hardened through your experience, particularly the aspect of, you know, the reconnection with your family. And it's 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 beautiful to know that sometimes we actually flourish in some of the most, you know, destitute experiences that we have. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful Uh you know, when I when I was conceptualizing this podcast, I knew immediately that I needed to have you on my show. Um, to anybody that's listening, I highly, me. highly encourage you to on YouTube find Life in Haiti. It's spelled exactly as it sounds on YouTube. Um, do you have any kind of uh, way and that people I'll can contribute financially? Yes, um, I also have Cash App which is dollar sign D-A-N-N-Y-0529, dollar sign Danny0529. Um, Yet yeah, I've distinguished life in Haiti to life in Haiti with Marie. Okay. So when you look up life in Haiti, you can put life in Haiti with Marie, and you'd be able to um, find me. Okay. 
Well, there you have it. A story of how leading with an open heart, patience, and understanding serves to benefit both the giver and the receiver. I'd like to thank Marie for being so open with her personal story and being an agent and reminding me to be patient with my own mother as I hope my daughter can show up to me in her adulthood. Don't forget to check out Life in Haiti with Marie on YouTube. And remember, real talk leads to real understanding. <laughs>